Tchaikovsky to make it three! Scintillating football by the Chicago Fire! Finding Herbers, Fabian Herbers is in again, and Fabian Herbers has scored again! A man on fire! All right, everybody, welcome into another edition of the Intercontinental Football Show. Joined by the voice of the Premier League on NBC, Arlo White. I am Tyler Terrence, the voice of the Chicago Fire. The inmates are officially running the asylum. And while we did have El Sakiko as a fixture this past weekend, this episode is going to be here from now on known as El Sakiko. Because if I didn't <laughs> press the big red button, somebody's getting sacked. Arlo. You're coming off a terrific Premier League weekend. There's loads to talk about, lots of fixtures. But I think we need to start where we where we left off last episode, which is uh, your soup, which is, in my mind, <laughs> yes, tomato and basil. You know, we're coming off oh, lasagna game. God. Yeah, listen, I, I know last week I called for, um, for, for consistency from you and from your country, men and women, didn't I? In terms of the use of the, the single S being a Z or a Z sound. And then I kind of... Uh, um, what did I do? I contradicted myself, didn't I, by saying that it's a little bit. It's yeah. basil, not basil. So, look, basil. Uh, you know, but there are exceptions to every rule, though, Tyler. That's the important that thing, one, isn't it? Yeah, no, you no. Okay, so <laughs> I I stick with it though. It is lasagna because it's an S, and I will but not be moved on thanks, that. Thanks to one of our fans on Twitter, though, we realized that our, our skit and our and our banter there wasn't exactly original um, because James Franco and whoever it was was having a having the debate between za and lasagna or, you know, like how nicknames should be derivative of how they sound, not what they are, something along those lines. But we appreciate those who, who chimed in on on the great debate as it the were. Great debate, we the big talk, debate, yeah, the big talking we, point. We only talk about. We only talk about the important things here on the Intercontinental Football Show. But the Fire did not have a game uh, this past weekend. Arlo, you did. And the yes. Premier League just seemed to be flipped on its head. Anywhere in particular that you would like to start? Yes, I think we've got to start with uh, with Nuno Espirito Santo and uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, so last week, uh, I mentioned to you that this game was being dubbed El Sakiko Because the team that lost between Spurs and Man United the manager was going to get the flick. Would it be Nuno Espirito Santo or would it be Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Now, we don't know for a fact that that going into that game that that's what the hierarchies of both clubs felt about the situation. Um, But it turns out that Manchester United cruised, and I mean cruised, to a 3-0 victory. Tottenham Hotspur were insipid at best. They, Mm. They were just so poor and the place, Tyler, was toxic. So when you have uh, substitutions being booed in, in the way that the substitution of Lucas Mora um, was booed, um, you've got a problem. And and when they started chanting, the, at, the, at the new stadium, there's this magnificent south stand that seats about 17,500 people. It makes a lot of noise. And when when they start singing in unison, you don't know what you're doing. Um, and that's normally... <laughs> aimed at referees, but when it's aimed at the home dugout in terms of the manager, then you've got a big problem. Uh, And you could tell that the whole thing has turned toxic. Harry Kane is a complete shadow of the player that that he's been for so many years now. Hyun Min Son is is trying his heart out, as he always does, but they were so passive. They were so lacking in confidence. And and as as I say, the word that, 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 that struck me about it all, the entire scenario... Was toxic. So, so Ole Gunnar Solskjaer keeps his job for now. 
at Atalanta away during the week in the Champions League and then a massive Manchester derby on Saturday in the early game as well. And Lee Graham and I will have a three-man booth for that. Um, I don't think he's out of the woods yet, but here's the irony of the entire situation. So Tottenham fire Nuno Espirito Santo, Tyler. Mm-hmm. And they're going to appoint Antonio Conte, who is the man that Man United, well, a lot of Man United fans want as their manager. So actually, in getting Tottenham's manager fired and saving Ollie's job, then United have lost out on Antonio Conte. There's talk of a $34 million contract. Um, he's flown yes. into London uh, Monday. He could be taking training on Tuesday. He's got to meet with Daniel Levy and the director of football, Fabrizio, sorry, Fabio Patrici. Um, and it looks like a done deal. And, you know, another top-class manager in the Premier League to add to the the growing list. And, of course, he has experience. He won a Premier League title with Chelsea before it went uh, slightly wrong there. So, fascinating. I don't know whether you saw the game or whether whether it came through, the, 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 the atmosphere that was turning ugly. Uh, I know you had yeah. a wedding at the weekend. It was just... It, what are your thoughts about that entire situation? Yeah, so I watched the highlights, and and I think that toxic is is the only way to put it. You could just sense the you know the unrest and just there was just angst um, you know amongst everybody who was a Tottenham fan in that stadium on that day. And you know I, I and and the whole thing is bizarre to me. I mean, you know, you almost feel like Tottenham might have won in this situation, even though they lost the game and fired their coach because they're going to get the man that they wanted in the end. And Manchester United fans are not. And maybe this is just simply prolonging and. Ole's a dead man walking and, you know, we're going to have the same result that we would have this weekend had Manchester United gone out and laid an egg 3-0 and mm. they would have gotten Conte if not. Like, you just simply don't know. And it's and it's really astonishing how clubs who are deemed, you know, big six clubs go about their business. I mean, Nuno had four months in charge, whatever it was, is two points off of Manchester United, um, you know, after the weekend and they end up sacking their coach. Meanwhile, Ole with... We can, I think we could confidently say, Arlo, with a, with a heavily more talented roster than Tottenham, mm. um, clearly not performing well, lost 5-0 at home to the, one of their biggest rivals and one of the biggest rivalries in all of football, and stick with their man. It's just fascinating how the two clubs mm. go about their business and how Dan Levy, you know, say what you will about him, but, you know, he's not afraid to pull the trigger. And, and now, you know, there's going to be a new era at Tottenham and Antonio Conte, he's a leader of men. He's hard. He's rigid. And, you know... I'm, I'm excited to see what, what, what comes next. I, I just wonder, where's the accountability? I mean, Daniel Levy, when Maurizio Pochettino was in charge of the football club or in charge of the football team, um, there were transfer windows that went by without him signing any players. It, it was on a shoestring. And I know that they, they were building the stadium and the stadium is truly magnificent. Looking forward to you uh, experiencing that one day on a, on a trip over to this side of the pond. It, it is just, it blows you away. It's, it's magnificent. But the amount of money that Daniel Levy has now spent for Tottenham Hotspur when he didn't spend it under, under Maurizio Pochettino to make up for, for the lack of a Maurizio Pochettino, it's just mm. extraordinary. So Jose Mourinho came in. I mean, if he wants fast, free-flowing, entertaining football... Why would you appoint Jose Mourinho in the first place? And we talked, and we talked about that, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, like how yeah. it just it just kind of blows our minds that like he clearly wants a certain style of football, but he brought in Nuno. Why? Just because he was the bet, you know, the most noteworthy available coach available. It just didn't really make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. There's no plan or discernible plan or philosophy or vision on behalf of Daniel Levy and Tottenham Hotspur whatsoever. But what they are going to get with Antonio Conte, he is tough. 
he's tough as nails. Uh, the players um, are better be ready because he's going to run them into the ground in training. He is very demanding tactically, very astute tactically. I actually thought that team that he had um, with Chelsea, they were very entertaining to watch. They were they were good to watch. So it's not as if he's a you know a bolt the back door sort of manager. You know his teams can play decent football. He's been successful wherever he's been. Most recently at Inter Milan. Um, so and this is great. This is fantastic. Another fantastic appointment for the Premier League, but it takes one of the world's best coaches off the market for the likes of Manchester United and possibly even Newcastle United. Although there's talk of Unai Emery uh, going to mm. Newcastle United now, he might be he might be the target for them and their new regime at St James's Park. So look, the Premier League it never fails to 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 uh, interest it never fails to to you know to to create headlines and get us all talking and um and that's the situation today and and i came away from tottenham uh, from the game on saturday worrying for nuno's job but i didn't think that that daniel levy would do it this soon but he has they've lost 5 out of 7 had they won tyler they would have gone into the top 4 you know, he he, he won the manager yeah. of the month in September, or was it August, by winning the uh, the first three games of the season. It's just the the, the downfall is remarkable. Um, and as I say, Harry Kane, it's just a it shadow. A, yeah, I, do you don't think it was too big of a leap for Nuno? He just found himself in the wrong situation. I think he could yeah. potentially be in charge of a big six club, but this clearly was not the situation and not the the boss uh, for him and Daniel Levy in terms of the lack of patience. Yeah, I, I think that there's something to that. Um, you know, he inherited a situation, so he was he was in reverse the moment he arrived at the club because of the Harry Kane situation. Yeah. It's clear that Harry Kane wanted that move to Manchester City. You know, he 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 all but said it, didn't he, during the summer months. Um, and he, Daniel Levy just didn't let him go. It just he didn't want to didn't want to sell him to a main rival. You can understand the thinking there, but Harry Kane has, as a footballer, he was so reliable for so many years, and now, as I say, he's a pale shadow of, of his former self. Not not that he won't be able to regain that form at some point. I'm sure he will. Uh, Antonio Conte, and I think Harry Kane will be looking at that appointment and, and thinking, oh, good, you know, th- this is a this is a guy that's a proven winner. Maybe I can get behind him and rediscover some of that form. So, so Nuno just inherited a really tough situation, a really toxic situation, um, and never really got off the ground, despite winning his first three games by a goal to nil. But he, he then lost the next three, and they were battered in the North London derby. And from that moment, I think he was, he was in a spot of bother. But it's incredible, Tyler, that everyone was talking about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer until they win by three goals to nil. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, nobody's talking about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It's all about Conte, and it's all about Levy, and it's all about Nuno Espirito Santo. But United were good. They went to the back three um, with Lindelof, Maguire uh, and Varane, who was back from injury. Wan-Bissaka, I don't think, is a wing-back by any stretch no, of the imagination. No, no, no. He's a fullback. Yeah. yeah, Luke Shaw was excellent. I thought McTominay was very good. But they're putting a strike partnership out with a combined age of 70. And I've got to say, and you'll understand this, <laughs> being able to call a Ronaldo worldy was that was a big bucket list moment for me on Saturday. The chip over the top for by Bruno Fernandes was amazing. But the volley, yep. I mean, you know, Ronaldo has scored better goals. Of course he has. He's scored like a million of them. But it was just, you know, at nil-nil when his former teammate and now manager needed him most. Ronaldo's been criticised for his lack of work rate and pressing. You know, Oli's been criticised for picking him too many times. But in that moment... 
Ronaldo stepped up and it was it was a joy to behold. And Edinson Cavani was magnificent and his finish for his goal as well was absolutely terrific. So it was a much improved Manchester United, but they're not quite out of the woods yet. So certainly Ollie's not out of the woods yet. Well, another big result and another big fixture that we were uh, we were looking forward to, Arlo, was your Foxes and Arsenal, sort of the uh, the battle mm. for the Europa League conference, if you will. Um, like Dixon no, Derby. The, the, yeah, that's, ex- that's exactly <laughs> what it is. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> All bets are off in the White Dixon Derby. Uh, Gabrielle in the fifth, Emil Smith-Rowe in the 18th, and a terrific performance from Ramsdale and Arsenal waiter will hold on for a score of two to nil. I mean, Arsenal looked up for the challenge. Leicester City, you know, from the from the opening did not really look up for it. I saw the first, you know, 30, 35 minutes or so. Um, curious what your thoughts on the game were, what this means for Leicester, and if Arsenal are starting to assert themselves as a as as a potential top four uh, candidate here. It's fascinating. Uh, the Foxes just didn't turn up for the first 20 minutes, Tyler. Um, and it's inexplicable, really. I listened to the game on the way um, to London to, to, to call Tottenham against Manchester United and Arsenal battered Leicester for the first 20 minutes. And it could have been more than 2-0. I, I don't understand how Leicester or why Leicester consistently start games so poorly. You know, at some point, you know, you've got to have a, a look at Brendan Rodgers and how he's setting the team up and how he's motivating them before games because it's it, they're giving themselves such a hard task to win football matches by by falling behind, by being sloppy and slow at the start of games. And Arsenal Arsenal took advantage of that. You know, Leicester came back into the game and, and Aaron Ramsdale, he's, he is one of the signings of the season. Make no mistake, they were criticised, weren't they, for signing a, a quote-unquote backup for 30-odd million who had been relegated in his last two seasons. But Ramsdale's a really good goalkeeper and he's, yep. he's such a massive upgrade on Burnt Leno in so many different ways. Shot-stopping, outstanding his distribution is phenomenal and he's got character there's something about this kid you know he's yep. confident he's popular he banters with the crowd he just looks like he plays and has joy in, in what he's doing um arsenal are very much the real deal i think now uh he's the he's real found deal. the formula well what when does I say that mean real exactly deal, the real deal I think they're back in the hunt for the top four. Now, it doesn't mean okay. to say that they definitely will, but they've been shambolic for years now, Tyler. I mean, they've just, you know, they finished outside the top four for the last five years, having played yeah. Champions League football for, you know, whatever it was, 25 consecutive seasons. So I think they're back in the hunt. Now, a couple of injuries are going to hurt them, namely to like a Ramsdale or Gabriel is huge for them. I mean, he has yep. been absolutely magnificent. I love Nuno Tavares, and I mentioned him um, on a previous pod uh, as well. He's in for the injured. Yeah, yeah. He, he's in for the injured. Kieran Tierney. He was terrific. Smith Rowe, just phenomenal. Lacazette back in the team as well. So I think I think Mikel Arteta. You know the, that that saying it's always darkest before the dawn was absolutely true of Arsenal when they went to Manchester City and were pulverised. 5-0, Xhaka sent off. They didn't have a shot on target, I don't think, or they managed one shot in the entire game. It was pathetic. Then they went into that um, international uh, break and then they had Norwich in the first game after. And it, and it was being builders, <laughs> not not for the last time this season. It, you know That was almost an El Sakiko because... Had he not beaten Norwich, I think I think Mikel Arteta was in trouble. If they'd have lost their opening four games of a season and rooted to the bottom of the table, I think it could have been bye-bye to Mikel Arteta. But they did just enough to win that game and they've slowly built since. I think they're unbeaten in nine. I want to say nine games, I think it is. And they are... They are back in the hunt. There's no question about it. I said, you know, I named my five teams who I think are going to battle it out for fourth place. I didn't include Brighton. They go and come back from 2-0 down and play superbly. No. 
at Anfield. And I'll get your thoughts on that in a second. But but yeah, Arsenal, when I say real deal, I mean they are a serious team who play good football, who are solid defensively, and they appear to know what they're doing and they're playing for their manager. And I think they're back in the hunt for top four. Liverpool, what happened? 2-0 up, cruising against Brighton. Yeah. Final score, 2-2. Yeah, I, I have a couple of thoughts on this. I didn't get to see the entirety of the game. Um, this was going on while we were, uh, it, you know, while we we're leading up to uh, to the pictures and the first look for the wedding. Uh, one of my best friends uh, from growing up, Zach Gray. So we were with the boys, and I was trying to sneak a little watch in on my phone here and there. But you know, obviously wanted to wanted to be in the moment and be present. But you know, I'll be I'll be darned if I'm going to miss an entire Liverpool game. <laughs> um, so you know, I, watching the game and watching the goals. Couple of thoughts. Number one, I did not think Andy Robertson defensively was at his anywhere close to his best. Ibrahim Kanate had an absolute shocker, particularly on the second goal. He stepped when he didn't need to step, and then just sort of the the lackadaisical recovery run to try to get back into whatever position he thought he was supposed to be in was was appalling. And he's young; he hasn't played a ton of Premier League football before. You know, he's still getting his footing. He had a, he had a big game last weekend. Um, but you know, this clearly, uh, th- this game passed him by in some really, really big moments. And I just thought that Liverpool up to nil, couple of moments to put the game away, didn't take them seriously. That's something that we saw last year. It wasn't just the injuries and the, and, and, you know, and the, and the lack of cohesion at the back, but it was also, you know, believing that you have infinite amount of chances over the course of 90 minutes and thinking that if you have a one V one with the goalkeeper mm. and if you don't. And if you don't strike, then you'll have another one later on in the game. It's simply just not the case. Even though Liverpool are, are capable of creating infinite chances, it's just not the reality that we live in. So I thought that that was the case. I thought Roberto Firmino had a chance when it was 1-0 to make it 2-0. I thought that there, there were just moments where Liverpool could have killed the game off. Um, terrific strike at the end of the first half from Brighton to sort of get them back into the game. And then, you know, Mo wasn't at his sharp, sharp. You know, he still had a terrific game. And Mo Salah, you know, even when he's not on his best day, is still one of the best Premier League strikers um, that, that we've seen in recent memory. But um, all the credit in the world to Brighton. You know, they reminded me of Brentford um, in the way that they just kept battling. They just kept believing in themselves and they just sort of uh, kept grinding it out. And, you know, it just goes to show that, this, this Premier League title is going to be un- unlike anything we've ever seen before because, mm. you know, we can segue easily into, into Man City after this, but uh, curious on your, on your thoughts on Liverpool. Yeah, I was really surprised um, at the at the outcome at the final whistle because I I one one aspect of Brighton that I think is going to is going to affect them negatively is the lack of goals. But then they come up with two absolutely beautiful goals uh, at Anfield to 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 take the point. So you know, Brighton are are impressive. Graham Potter has a certain style of, of playing. They are all on board with it. It's quite sophisticated. It's good to watch. Uh, and they're a fun team. Liverpool, it is it, it is two points dropped. But I think the big teams, and it, it, <laughs> I got criticised on Twitter yesterday for kind of saying that, well, you know, City, Liverpool, Chelsea, looks like on, on the start of the season are going to be the three that battle out for the title. That upset a few West Ham fans because they are level with Manchester City on 20 points. I don't think West Ham are going to be in the title race. I do think those other three are going to be in the title race. And and every point dropped is is absolutely vital. So that was a tough one uh, for Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. It's just just stopped some of that momentum that they had, particularly after going to Old Trafford and winning by five goals to nil. I think they'll be fine. And I think they'll get back to winning ways, you know, very, very shortly. They haven't lost a game, oh, lost the the game yet. yet. 
Yep. Yep. One six, drawn four. So look, they're they're going to be fine. Chelsea are in terrific form. One eight, drawn one, lost one. So they've got a three point lead at the top after after the opening ten games. Manchester City. I mean, they were losing. Yeah, up three goals, Chelsea. That's pretty ridiculous at this point, considering that they've played. Yeah. 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 It is incredible. And 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 Man City, you know, they were 1-0 down City to a Wilf Zaha goal before Emerick Laporte was sent off. Um, and they eventually went down uh, by two goals to nil. Jesus had a goal disallowed for a, a very close offside call when they thought they were level with 10 men. But again, you know, Man City at home, they've dropped points against Southampton. They've now beaten, been beaten by Crystal Palace. Again, what is it about Crystal Palace going to the Etihad <laughs> and pulling out these incredible results? But they're playing very well under Patrick Vieira. So you've got Chelsea on 25 points, Liverpool 22, Man City 20 and West Ham United 20. And I saw the Hammers and their victory at Aston Villa. They are so impressive, Tyler. They really mm. are. Um, you look at the defence. Well, the goalkeeper, Fabianski, I think, has flown under the radar for many years. I think he's a fantastic goalkeeper. The centre-backs, Ogbonna and Zuma, terrific. The full-backs, are, the, young Ben Johnson scored a great goal. He's a very good defender as well. And Aaron Cresswell on that, on that left-hand side are terrific. You know, the yeah. midfield two, Suchek and Rice... I mean, they, they. I think they they compare favorably with any midfield two in in the yeah, Premier League. Just a great amount of balance. Yeah, just, yeah. just terrific. They complement each other so well. You know, Declan's going to get after defense. I I just really enjoy watching them play, and they always seem to be on the same page. They move well defensively. Like they're just a very very fun football team to watch. Mm. And, you know, as we've talked about before, in order for London Stadium to to truly you know get get rocking, it needs to be incredibly loud, just because it's not the most intimate environment. And we've heard that uh, this year at times. I know you were. I know the game was at Villa, which is one of your favorite grounds. And I must say, you and um, was it you and Lee or, or Graham Lee. who were pulling off? The, it was you and Lee who pulled off the uh, the, the Peaky Blinder caps. I mean, my goodness. Yes, I just, thank I, you. I, I, I would just never be able to get away with something like that. You know, it's something that uh, it sort of keeps me up at night, but uh, you, you certainly can pull it off. <laughs> yes, well, it's it's Peaky Blinders Town. It's Birmingham. That's where it's all filmed. That's, right. That's where it's all set. So it was. It seemed fitting to get the old Baker Boy cap on. Um, and Lee's been, funny enough, Lee's been wearing his since August. I don't know what he's hiding underneath there, Tyler. But well, he's, he's, got growing, he's growing this, that... well, this magnificent mullet has, has sprung yeah. out of the back of the cap. I don't know what's going on underneath the cap. I haven't do seen we, him without the cap deem... this season. Do we deem Lee's hair a mullet? Is it in fact a mullet? I mean, it's, he's definitely got the flow on the backside. I don't know if he's yeah. trimmed it enough on the front for it to be. I, I don't know. The, I, I'm it not remains gonna... a mystery. It remains a mystery. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on underneath the cap. I might just have to, when we do our bit to camera with Rebecca, I might just have to reveal it. Just, just, just you know, whip his cap off and then uh, yeah. and see what's going on live or, on or television. Or we might have to have him on the pod in the near future. As we well, can let's just do that. Yes, yes, yes. We could get a, an explanation from the horse's mouth, couldn't we? But but that, <laughs> that West Ham team, and before Nows as well, is playing really well. Uh, Bowen scored um, a lovely goal. And then Mikel Antonio leads the line brilliantly. Look, he, he's only made, I think, three, perhaps four changes all season to that starting eleven, David Boys. So, you know, they're in the Europa League. They're top of their group. They're in the quarterfinals of the, of the League Cup. And they're in fourth place same amount of points as Manchester City just behind them on goal difference so can that group of players sustain it when they're playing virtually twice a week you know or three times a week you know between now and and May that's going to be tough now he might look at it and go 
let's spend some money in January. Let's put a bit more depth into this squad and give Champions League a serious go. Because at the moment, again, like saying Arsenal are the real deal, West Ham are the real deal. There's no question. And I cannot wait for Sunday. West Ham United against Liverpool with 60-odd thousand mm. people in the ground. I'm calling that game on Sunday. It's going to be incredible. Uh, the atmosphere at the London Stadium is very good these days. You know, they've managed to turn that into what was a very toxic place, into, into a rousing sort of atmosphere. And it truly is their home now. So West Ham United, very, very good to watch. Really, really good team. Them against Liverpool at the weekend. Boy, that's going to that's gonna say a lot about both teams and where they are. Yep, we got the Manchester Derby to look forward to. That's going to be at 7.30 Central Time that Saturday. So you got a Saturday, Sunday of just, you know, at least two magnificent fixtures uh, this weekend. So Early start for me. Better get that, that alarm call um, on right. Saturday morning. Yeah, it's the 12th. We don't usually do the 12.30, but it's 12.30 over here. We don't usually do the early kickoff, but of course, it's the Manchester Derby. So we had to be yep. there. Well, we got the uh, we got the Chicago Fire on decision day uh, against the Columbus Crew. We'll get in, into that in just a little bit. But um, any any other thoughts on the on the Premier League weekend, Arlo? I mean, I know that we've we've had a ton to talk about whether it's Nuno and his you know fourteen million dollar payout or whatnot. But any other mm-hmm. any other results or, or anything that jumped off the page? And, and Aston Villa, it's a real concern. They've lost four in a row now. Dean Smith is a lifelong uh, Villa fan. Uh, you know, he's he's got the DNA of the club in his veins. And it's just, a, it's a shame. I love going to, to Aston Villa, to, to Villa Park. It's one of my favourite grounds. They were rocking and rolling uh, at the start of the season, but it's just the wheels have come off. He tried a new system um, against West Ham. He uh, he dropped the captain, Tyra Mings, to the bench. Uh, but they went down to 10 men. They almost got an equaliser at 2-2 with 10 men. Men, Ollie Watkins, it was a fantastic Fabianski save onto the crossbar. But I'm, I'm really concerned about, about Aston Villa. 15th place, four defeats in a row, three points clear of the bottom three. So watch this space. There could be another managerial change. And Villa's, <laughs> Villa's fixtures don't get any easier. Away at Southampton at the weekend, that's tough. Then they've got some of the big six as well uh, before Christmas. So, uh, yeah, keep your eye on that one. And Norwich City... Well, at least they scored a goal, Tyler. You know, they haven't won in the opening 10 games. They've lost eight of them. Goal difference of minus 22. So they've got two points. They are incredibly only eight points away from safety. But, you know, let's just say that the, the, the cliche they'll be down by Christmas um, was almost invented solely for Norwich City Football Club. Oh. God, they're by Arlo's standards, they are just dangerously close. Uh, next year, it's going to be implemented into the Premier League, where if you don't have a win by Boxing Day, you are going to be relegated. <laughs> You're so relegated the time, instantly. The, the time is running out on the Canaries. It, it is running. It, it is, it's a race against the clock. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the Premier League chat sorted, Tyler. Um, I imagine this weekend's going to be quite emotional for for you over there and Tony and for everybody in the fire organisation because it's the final game of the season. It's been a turbulent season. It's had some incredibly high moments and great moments and it's had some very sad moments um, in it as well. I mean, one of the great moments was the 31,000 crowd the last time that the yep. team played at Soldier Field and that victory over Real Salt Lake. But in terms of the final game, you go to Columbus, they've got a fabulous new stadium. My first game uh, on WGN was Columbus away in the old stadium. It, it feels like <laughs> about seven years ago. It was only in the yeah. summer. But but how are you feeling You know, going into that final game and um, and the fact that there's actually quite a lot riding on it for the home mm-hmm. team, isn't there? 
Yes, there is. Um, you know, just to start with the emotional aspect of it, I was, as I was sitting hungover in, uh, in the most magical airport <laughs> that ever lived in the Newark airport, I was sort of, you know, thinking about the last game of the season and everything of that nature. And, you know, I think that just from a pure football coming back into our lives standpoint, you know, just a lot to be grateful for. You know, we started out this season, um, you know, at Soldier Field with fans in the building for the first time since, you know, the last time that we had played in Soldier Field in more than 15 years. And there was only 8,000 people who were allowed to be there against the New England Revolution who were just crowned Supporter Shield champions. And, you know, third to last game of the season, and we end up having 31,000. So it's just a shout in terms of, you know, I know we covered this last episode, but it's just a shout in terms of what it could look like, what it should look like, and what mm. it's going to look like in the future. And with a clean slate next year, with full capacity allowed, you know, who knows? You might sell 50,000 tickets for, for for a home opener against God knows who, um, you know, at the start of 2022. But, you know, just from that standpoint, the fact that we've been able to get through a 34-game slate with, you know, as few bumps from a COVID standpoint as humanly possible. We had some, you know, cases throughout throughout the course of the season, but, you know, that's happened to almost every single team. You know, it, it's it's a Columbus team that, you're right, they could have everything to play for. They need a, a number of things to go their way. Fire fans will want to keep an eye on the Red Bulls game as they're going to play Atlanta United on Wednesday. If Red Bulls are to lose that, then Columbus can head into decision day knowing that if they get a win and two results, which would be Red Bulls losing and D.C. drawing or losing, then they would get into the postseason with a win over the fire. So obviously decision day, Eastern Conference games will kick off at the same time. Same thing with the Western Conference games. So you're not going to know. So for Columbus... If, if Rebels lose on Wednesday, it's it's pedal to the metal. It doesn't matter. Get your three points and see what happens in the rest of the league. So it could be a, a phenomenal atmosphere and another phenomenal test for Chicago um, if they are to sort of find themselves in that situation. If Rebels get any sort of point on Wednesday, um, the hopes for Columbus sort of go out the window in terms of making the postseason, which is hard to believe. Um, yeah, that we're talking how about has this cup. happened? How has this happened? Was, they are the MLS was, Cup champions. And they, I saw yeah. them in the summer, as I mentioned, and they were terrific. They were vibrant. Yeah. They were they were up for it. You know, they 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 won with ease against the fire that night. What has happened to them? So it was a stretch, um, you know, a few weeks ago where it was six or seven games, not even just winless, but losses, six or seven losses in a row. Um, that just totally derailed them. Now you can talk about CONCACAF Champions League and, you know, the the hangover that comes from that and, you know, having to play your most important competition um, of, of the season, basically in the middle of the season and having to balance that and everything. But, you know, at some point for me, that argument starts to become moot because it's just like, you know, if, if U.S. Open Cup were happening right now, then it would be the same thing. You're talking about Campionas Cup, um, you know, or, or excuse me, Leagues Cup that's going to come around in 2023, 2024. We're going to basically have a World Cup style tournament with every single league, MX and MLS team. Um, but this is a Columbus group that's had some injuries along the back line. They've had players who have been playing out of position. Jossie Zardes had a couple of stretches where he missed a number of games. Um, and they just simply couldn't find the back of the net on a regular basis or keep teams out for that matter. So um, when you pair that with a six or a seven game losing streak in the middle of the season, it's going to make it really difficult to to qualify for the postseason, especially when you've had the likes of D.C., Atlanta, Red Bulls. Um, you know, a lot of these teams that we maybe didn't necessarily think of coming into the latter stages of this season saying they're going to be battling for a playoff spot. Now, all of a sudden they are. Um, so, you know, Caleb Porter actually did something similar after they won MLS Cup, I believe it was in 2015, ended up not making the playoffs in 2016. So he's sort of had this to deal with in the past, um, but they're hoping that for, for a little decision day magic, if you will. Um, but it should be a really interesting game. And I'm excited to see Lower.com Field for the first time. Um, as, yes, as I drove. Rounded out. You you rounded out the old lady, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring in the new lady. Uh, yes, for, uh, for Tony Chicago and I took fans. a 
We took an Uber by it um, on the way to the the crew stadium, and and it just looks absolutely magnificent. So, you know, plenty riding on on that final game for the crew, potentially. Where can people watch on Sunday? Sunday at 2.30 Central Time um, on WGN and Chicago Fire FC Live. Tony and I will be coming to you live from Lower.com Field. Should be a great game, and we're looking forward to the final broadcast of the year. Um, you know, again, uh, our, our crew has just been outstanding. I mean, you know, Timmy and Phil and, and Meg and Dave Bachman and everybody who's worked on this crew and even Jim Dodonna, Mac Licky, who have filled in at the director and producer position. You know, a lot goes into our broadcast, mm. folks. It's not just, you know, Arlo, me and Tony showing up and starting to talk about the game. There's there is yeah. a whole lot more that goes into it that that supersedes anything that our minds could possibly comprehend <laughs> from, a, from a production <laughs> side. And I, and I guarantee you that. Um, but, you know, thank well, you, you press to all record of them. on the on the on the pod here. I, I, well, I Listen, think, uh, I. At least I hope you press record on the pod. So oh, you know, there's a, there, there is there is technical ability there somewhere, Tyler. You do yourself a disservice. Technical ability, yeah. Technical ability is a loose word. That is a very loose word. That's like saying Norwich are competitive right now, just yes. because they're playing in the same league as everybody else. But Arlo, where can everybody find you this weekend? So this weekend, um, it's the Manchester derby, United against City at Old Trafford, and that is the early game, as you mentioned, it's seven thirty Central Time. I think it's NBCSN, uh, and then Sunday um, down to London, the London. Stadium, West Ham United against Liverpool, which will be the later game. So that will be 11.30. We've had daylight savings over here, you see. So that'll be 11.30 a.m., I believe, as well on NBCSN. Just on, you were just talking about the broadcast. We're very fortunate to be in in the situation that we're in because, because of the personnel involved and because of the commitment of the fire and WGN and all the people that are involved in that broadcast. It is a national broadcast that the standard of it yes. is a national broadcast. You and Tony have had a fantastic season. The The show looks magnificent. Uh, the games look fantastic and sound fantastic. So, you know, I hope five, five fans do appreciate that, but, you know, maybe, maybe set the DVR, watch it later and, and buy a ticket and come down to the, to the games next season as well. But, you know, That's just right. hats off and kudos to everybody involved uh, behind the camera uh, on the fire broadcast. Cause I've seen it from the inside and I've watched it, you know, from afar uh, from over here. And it truly is, I think the best uh, uh, local broadcast in Major League Soccer, it would not look out of place on primetime national television. That's how good it is. Are you going to enjoy a little bit of uh, lasagna or tomato and basil in London after your, after the West Ham game? Or, or what, what's going on in London town? Tomato and basil. Um, Bastille. Uh, Bastille. Yeah. Bastille. Storming the Bastille. Bastille. Storming the Bastille. Uh, yes, I th- I, you know, I had a bit of chicken soup. I, I, I broke with the routine on Saturday. It was chicken oh, soup. I, I've got it. I realize I'm getting quite predictable so I think I might go to a soup <laughs> shop and just mix it up a little bit um, because you know there's only so many tweets you can put out about tomato and basil basil soup um so basil. Uh, yeah maybe maybe watch this space watch the twitter um and by the way on the tiktok yeah uh, I, did a, I did a I did a gantry walk at Old Trafford and 1.1 million people have watched it. it is it is incredible you're, you're an influencer it, my friend you're I'm an influencer. now officially an influencer it's it's just remarkable i mean people obviously really enjoy the behind the scenes stuff um that you know g- giving people a peek behind the curtain that stuff that they probably wouldn't see anywhere else and i, and I really enjoy doing it as well i never expected 1.1 million people to watch a walk to a to a gantry at, at old trafford but but that's where we are and 
So I think I've, you know, with with Instagram and Twitter over the last 10 years, I think every tweet that I've ever put out, every Instagram post hasn't had 1.1 million engagements if you put them all together. <laughs> and I've slaved uh, over over those accounts, you know, producing content. And then you join TikTok and my goodness, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. So if you like behind the scenes stuff, Arlo White comms on the TikTok, Tyler. And with that, I think we can sign off for another week. We can. We can sign um, off to the to the 32 million people who are Ted Lasso for Halloween. <laughs> exactly. Did anyone did anyone not dress as Ted Lasso uh, in, in America this Halloween? Quite extraordinary. I think you the only something? person that probably didn't was Jason Sudeikis. <laughs> I do have to give a shout out to a couple of friends of mine in Chicago because I mean the the boyfriend was was Ted Lasso, but the the girlfriend's name is Annie Rojas, so she was the Annie Rojas. I mean it was it was pretty good. It was that's good. good. That's good. Yeah. yeah other than that, that I, other than that, none of you original think there's something different for next Halloween. You can't be exactly, Ted Lasso two years exactly. <laughs> I um I got a message from Kay Adams who who is um who's the host of Good Morning Football. And uh, because we spent some time together uh, doing an NFL broadcast over here a few years ago, and she had dressed as Ted Lasso, and she sent me the picture, very proud of herself. And I said, you are clearly, you are absolutely my second favorite Ted Lasso of all time. And she was quite offended by that, but I had to explain the situation. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's amazing to see how how part of the fabric of of, of popular culture Ted yeah. has become. And, and, it, it, and we had a... A fan fest last week, and we had a little trip down memory lane, uh, Rebecca and I, because we and Tim, Tim Howard, because we featured in the original skits, you know, that's eight right. years yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's available on my social media as well. And just kind of looking back at all those years ago, it seems like another lifetime. But that that was the first iteration of Ted Lasso, and to see what's happened mm. with it now is just remarkable. But um, that aside, I think we can uh, leave it there, Tyler, for another episode of the Intercontinental Football Show. You have a great broadcast, a final broadcast of the season on Sunday, and we'll reconvene and look back at everything early next week. <laughs>